This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting and Sales EQ, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. In part four of my conversation with Anthony Andarino, the author of the hit new book, Eat Their Lunch, we talk about Mindshare and how you get Mindshare and use Mindshare to displace your competitors. First, though, I want to remind you about a podcast-only offer for our listeners for SalesGravy University. With this offer, you can save 50% on any course or any subscription, and hundreds of people are taking advantage of this amazing offer. All you got to do is go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com, and go check out all our courses. And then when you find the course that you like, just use Gravy123. That's coupon code Gravy123. And one of the courses that I suggest that you check out is the Essentials of Telephone Prospecting. I think you'll love it. It's a course where I teach you everything that you need to know about picking up the phone and getting an appointment with a prospect. Now, here's my continuing conversation with Anthony Andarino on competitive displacement. I've watched you on stage dozens of times talk about mindshare leading to wallet share. And I want to understand why mindshare is so important to stealing customers from your competition. You wrote a whole chapter about this in the book. So can you help us understand exactly what that means for people who don't quite get what mindshare is? It's a good question. The, uh, The way that I view clients is that they've got this lens that they're looking at the world through. And that lens has been shaped by their experience, by what they've heard from other salespeople about how they run their business, their experience in the industry that they're in. And so they have all these beliefs and ideas and you could call it the status quo. So they have this lens, this is the way we view things. But what you're trying to do in a competitive displacement is just push that lens out of the way and say, let's look at it through this lens. So instead of, can you have clean uniforms here at seven o'clock, it's can we make sure that you never have to shut a line down? That's a different lens. Wait a second. That's raising the accountability on my partner beyond anything anybody else has agreed to be accountable for. And if, if you were to say something like, you know, we can do this, it's going to give them greater efficiency. It's going to give them greater uh, comfort while they're on the line. And we found out that these boots actually end up being better and people are able to work longer with fewer injuries. They're, all of these kinds of things, I'm shaping the lens that they're going, wait a second, we should be looking at this from a whole bunch of different things. What's our partner really accountable for? How much are they going to help us improve the results on the floor? Because nobody would talk about that. You know, but if you talk about this, there's all kinds of ergonomic things with uniform design and the comfort for people, how long they can wear something. So there's all kinds of things. So if you start shaping this mindshare, then all of a sudden the problem looks different for them. It's not where do I get my uniforms? It's how do I make sure I'm as profitable as I can be on these particular shifts? And it was the same thing in the story that I told you about staffing. It wasn't about, can I get somebody here to help me get some people? It's I'm shutting lines down, same as yours. So what do you do when you're shutting lines down? You can't ignore that problem. And other people never made the the proposition that, look, we'll pay X for people to be standing here and we'll pay them if we send them home, but you'll still be paying far less than you are shutting the lines down. It's a different level of problem solving. So in Mindshare, what we're trying to do is help them understand I, I still know staffing better than anything. There's 11,000 baby boomers retiring every day in the United States. 
that's 358,000 a month, 4.3 million a year. The generations behind the, the greatest generation, the baby boomers are a lot smaller. So the, the greatest generation had baby boomer children. Baby boomers had fewer children. So there's not as many of us. So you get 200,000 jobs being created in this economy right now. And it takes 350,000 just to replace the baby boomers retiring, which means now you're going to end up with a guy with a man bun and a, a very greasy beard, you know, taking the place of somebody that had 30 years in a role and all this experience. So you start shaping people's thinking. If this is the tightest labor market since Richard Nixon's first administration, and it is, then what does your recruiting strategy need to look like? What do you want to put on a job board that's going to attract the people that already have the experience if you don't have a great onboarding and orientation and training program in place for people? And these are all things that you know well. So what we're trying to do is change that lens. And then when you're the person that changes the lens, you're the person that they look to to say, okay, now help me understand this and what I'm supposed to do about it. That's where you get into real value creation. But first you have to shape their thinking. I love that. You know, one of the biggest mistakes that I see, and I've always known this, and I saw this when I back in my days when I was carrying a briefcase, with salespeople who fail in competitive displacement environments, is that they engage prospects and try to win mindshare, but they do it at the wrong time. So for me, the science of selling is is the numbers and the cadence and the process of getting prospects into the pipeline. That's a science. It's a, it's a, it's a numbers game. Uh, and if you play the numbers game right, it works. The art of sales is getting the right prospect at the right time. And the right time is when a buying window is open. Because there are certain places when there, there is an opportunity to displace your competitor, but not all the time. So, for example, if your customer or the prospect just signed a contract with your competitor and it's an exclusive contract, you can go in there and pitch and do discovery and do all these things and go through the entire process and waste a couple of months going through this process and then even sign them to a contract. But your competitor's lawyers are going to call and say, hey, you can't change. And they're not going to leave you because there are, are chains to, to, for a competitor to go to you because they're not going to break a contract and get into a legal battle. So for, for salespeople, it's both identifying when those buying windows are open and then deploying a cadence that gets you in at the right time. And 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 also want you to touch on how that cadence, by the way, develops that mind share. How, how, do you, how are you through the cadence creating that story about you? So you and I um, have different ideas about cadences. And I believe, you know, cadence is something that can change and evolve. I, I believe it's going to be different for different prospects, different size prospects, different roles. Uh, but you've, you've done some really remarkable work around pursuit plans and sequences and cadences with prospecting. With respect to competitive displacement or red ocean strategy, Tell me what you recommend and, uh, and give us a couple of ideas. Uh, don't reveal everything in the book, but give us some, some ideas of what salespeople should be doing to get in front of the right prospect at the right time with the right message. I, I'm only smiling because I know a guy who had a, a buying window that was closing and he called the prospective client 52 days in a row. And, uh, and he wrote about it on LinkedIn. And I just remember the comments were like, you should be hung and then drawn and quartered, burned, chopped into tiny pieces, thrown in acid, and buried throughout the United States. And, and you did that specifically because the buying window is going to close. And you either got it or you lost it for five years. And I think people underestimate the fact that you want to be in front of opportunities. And so the reason 
we're always hyped up about outbound is it's because that's how you get in front of opportunities. And if you come in behind the opportunity and try to differentiate, you're behind the opportunity and somebody else has done the shaping in most cases. So you end up with a problem. So you and I tend to agree on the cadence because we both like the phone. And it's going to start with me for a phone call, followed up by a voicemail, followed up by an email. But I'm never asking for anybody to call me back on the voicemail or on the email because it's not their job to call me back. And they're not going to call back. So I have no feeling of disappointment when they don't call because I never expected them to in the first place. Instead, I'm going to tell them I will be calling you back. And it's a little bit of a threat, but it does say, wait a second, this person may be persistent enough to hang in here and actually pursue this business. The second week, I'm going to do another phone call, another voicemail, another email if I don't get them. And I'm still not asking for anything, but I'm getting more personal. I'm probably going to say, Jeb, I have an amazing ability to miss you when you're at your desk, or maybe you're never at your desk, but don't worry, I'll try you again next week. And then they know, wait, he's got a sense of humor and he might actually be a human being, which would be interesting to have a conversation with. So I'm going to do that about four weeks in a row. And what I think your, uh, I think your results and my results and Mike Weinberg all point to the same thing. Three to four times and not half, but close to half are going to get back in touch with you in one way or take your call and they're going to say, Jeb, listen, what are you blowing me up about? And in every one of those conversations, I'm going to try to capture mind share. I'm going to say, I want to share with you the four trends that are going to have the biggest impact in the retail vertical over the next 18 to 24 months. Some of the questions we're helping our clients answer. And listen, Jeb, even if there's not a next step for us, you're going to challenge your management team to start dealing with some of these things. And you'll know me and you'll know how we think about this. Should you need anything? What do you look like Thursday? I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell them I got value to offer outside of pitching my company and the reason we come in with something like four trends or a strategic conversation is because I have to trade enough value to get your time. And, and I, I'll, I'll challenge you as a business owner to answer this question. If a salesperson calls and says, Jeb, love to introduce myself, tell you about my company. That's one thing. But I'll give you the other example. HubSpot called me and they said, you're one of the biggest sales influencers. And we look at your website and we know you're not capturing uh, all of the email addresses that you, you should. And can we share with you what, we, we, what our research shows about you? I'm pretty interested in that. Okay, yeah, now you got my attention because they're trading value. And so in every one of these, you trade value. After that, look, I like content marketing. I'm not a social seller. You're not a social seller, but we are content marketers. So I'm going to use blog posts. I'm going to use white papers. I'm going to use case studies. I'm going to use follow-up phone calls. I'm going to connect with them on LinkedIn. But I'm going to build a cadence around this to say, I'm going to pursue you for a very, very long time. Why? Because you're my dream client, because you're in a contract, but at some point that contract's going to end or you're going to say, wait, I'm dissatisfied enough to do something, all the while shaping that mind share, all the while feeding you with insights. So you go, wait a second, our current provider isn't giving us this lens. They're not even looking at the problem this way. They've never been accountable for these things that this person is talking about. And that's how you end up creating an opportunity. And we, we have a conference, you might have heard of it, uh, you may even be there this year, it's called Outbound, because we're so hyped up on how important it is to create opportunities. And right now in the world where people are being told, wait for opportunities to come to you, it's bad advice and it's hurting people. The cadence is around building a cadence that says you go out and you create the opportunity and you're empowered to do that. And the reason I wrote so much about this in the book is because people need to be empowered to go do this work. 
Look, there's no doubt. If you are in a competitive, a competitive displacement business, in other words, you're, you are going to customers that are already using your service, they're just using someone else, and you're waiting for them to call you, it is a losing game. Because if you're waiting for the ones that are so dissatisfied that they, they have to call you, that's a sliver of the marketplace. There are companies out there that are dissatisfied, they are unhappy, but they're never going to move unless someone shows up and does deep discovery and helps them see that. And one of the strategies that I used to use, I want to share this real quickly, because my biggest accounts, my dream accounts in my marketplace, you couldn't go in right at their contract time and switch them over. You had to have Mindshare. You had to have built a relationship. But the problem was, is these were the biggest accounts out there. They were under contract. And, and the way that you built that mind share over time was you had to begin with something. You had to meet with them. You had to create some, some opportunity to, to open the door. And, and, and they had no reason to meet with you at all because they, they were under contract. They were under no obligation. There was no window of opportunity. And everybody and their brother was calling up and asking them for time. But still, you had to get a face with the name. That was the beginning of moving into their familiarity bubble in the beginning of building Mindshare. And then you had to create a cadence over 18 to 24 months leading up to the opening of the buying window and you would move into the contracting phase. So now I'm not sure this would work with me at, this, at my age, but when I was in my 20s and 30s, it worked great. I would call you up on the phone and you would say, listen, I don't need to meet with you. We're, we're happy. We're good. We're under contract. And you know, I would throw a couple of four trends out there and I would get told no. And then I would go for the, the jugular and it was just this really easy thing. I would say, Anthony, listen, all I want to do is shake your hand and hand you my business card so that you can see me and I can see you. And here's what I'll do. In my bag, I've got an egg timer. And I had this big white egg timer I bought at Walmart. And when I meet with you, I'll put that egg timer on five minutes. And when it goes ding, I don't care if we're in mid-sentence, I guarantee I will get up and walk out of your office. May I please have five minutes? And almost no one said no. I got yes almost 100% of the time of that. So then before- You lowered the commitment level. Like yeah, I can yeah. give him five. He said five and he's really going to leave. I'll take that. Yep. And I, so I would come in, right? And I would sit down at their desk and I would reach in my bag. And it would pull the egg timer out and it would hold it up in the air like this. And then I would put it on the desk and I would hold on to it. And then I would let it sit there for just a second, hold it down. And I would go. And I put it right on five minutes and then I would let it go. And I'd done a little bit of research on advance and I would say, Anthony, you know, I, I, I did a little bit of research on you and I, I was looking at your career and how you've you know, grown so that you're running this entire operation. Now, I'm, a, I'm a young man and I want to be like you. Could you give me some career advice on how you got there? And then I would shut up. You're going to need to turn the egg timer off. About a minute <laughs> in, the guy would say, turn the damn thing off. And an hour and a half later, I would walk out the door and I'd made a friend and then I would begin, you know, a cadence in. So it was, I know it sounds weird, but it was just using whatever I could to get face to face with my dream client in order to get in the door. And like <laughs> you said, I'd lower the commitment level, but I don't think that, I don't think that people, at least today, and this is like you were talking about outbound, really understand that you have to operate at that level in competitive displacement are you're 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 always going to be mediocre you're always going to be average and you're always going to be picking up the crumbs of your competitors you've got to get ahead of the curve and you have i mean it was fun i would with the, the the you know everybody laughed at the egg timer they everybody had a good a good time with it but i never i never walked out with at least 45 minutes of the person talking sure. I've, I've got this book over behind me called atomic habits by uh, a local guy here james clear 
Very smart book. You can get him. Uh, I think he's jamesclear.com. Very, very smart kid. Uh, great writer. Makes me jealous as a writer. I interviewed him here at the, for the podcast. And in the book, Atomic Habits, there's something like 11 million nerve endings coming into the brain to bring in information. 10 million of them come from your eyes. Okay, so what does that tell you about a physical presence and, and the impact that might have on preference? And then you show up and you're funny and you got an egg timer and you like people and Jeb does like people. Come to Outbound, he'll take a selfie with you. Uh, you might get to take a selfie with him, but he'll take one with you too because that's he likes people. And, and he's charming and I've listened to him talk to clients. So I'm telling you this while you're, it's only you and I here except for all these people that are going to be listening to this later on. Uh, he, he's charming right out of the gate. Like his first move is charm. Like energy's good. He's smiling. He's happy to be doing what he's doing. It just makes it easy to create a preference. And then they're thinking, well, who do I want to work with? How am I going to do this? And he gave himself, in the story you just told, an 18-month head start. Because if you're down to 60 days, hard to think about changing because I have too little time to do it. But 18 months, we have a lot of time to get to know each other, have conversations. I can do the shaping of uh, Mindshare. I can try to create value for you. I can be uh, visible. You can start stacking the deck in your favor. I think too many people think because Amazon's transactional and people buy a lot that they can be transactional. But if you're buying a book and it's $19, not a lot at stake. If you're changing the partner that helps keep your business running, a lot more at stake. Maybe you don't want to do that and treat it like it's a $17 sale. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of this Sales Gravy podcast and come back for part five of my conversation with Anthony, where we do a deep dive into the most important component of competitive displacement. And don't forget to go to salesgravy.university at learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com and claim your 50% off coupon with gravy123. That's code gravy123. And you can take any course or choose any subscription in our catalog for 50% off.